Okay, today is November the 9th, 2010. I have a note here that Armando and Shan Garcia are going to be here next Tuesday to speak to us. He is a missionary in Costa Rica and very interesting uh, man doing terrific work great ministry, and he will be here at 6 o'clock to tell us about his work, and he's and that's going to last till 7, is that right? Okay, no eating at the meeting. So if you want to hear some really interesting things, be here at 6 o'clock, and we'll be able to meet with him, and then we'll have Bible class as normal, uh, I don't know if we'll have prayer meeting or not. depends on how it goes. Oh, Tuesday. Okay, well, we won't have Bible class then. I mean, we won't have prayer meeting. <laughs> All right, so much for impromptu notes here. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I received an email yesterday from... Uh, Dr. Robbie Dean at West Houston Bible Church that uh, he had talked to Bobby theme at Baraka Church and they said, the hospice said that um, Betty, his mother, would not be long on this earth and she did go to be with the Lord today. So uh, I don't know if, uh, if you know her, you know about how, what a terrific lady she was and I don't know what the funeral arrangements will be or anything, but if I find out, we'll email them to you. Uh, I'll let you know. Do you know anything about it yet, Pete? Okay. All right, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be here to get another piece of the mosaic of the, of the puzzle so that we can recognize what your plan is for us individually, nationally, for your church, the body of Christ. So we pray that you will help us to focus this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you watched the ABC uh, 5.30 News? Anybody? I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Not one hand went up. Uh, y'all are a bunch of computer people now. Or... Well, anyway, I did see it. And they had a, a fairly long segment in it about uh, pastors who have lost their faith and are still teaching. I'm talking about Christian pastors. Well, maybe uh, Christian pastors who no longer believe what they're teaching. And they're remaining in the pulpit because they, the economy is bad and they, all they have is a degree from a seminary. And so they're faking it. And they were blacked out so no one could see them. And their voices were distorted. And I thought it was some of the questions I thought were interesting and their answers as well. They said, well, what made you lose your faith? And and. So absurd, the guy said, well, reading the Bible. 
Reading the Bible made him lose his faith. And I thought, hmm, that's strange because I know a number of people who were saved by reading the Bible. And they asked, <clears throat> excuse me, they asked, well, what else? And one, one of them said, well, I went to read some of the material from, uh, it's not Richard Dawkins. Is, it, is that the guy, that, uh, is his name Richard Dawkins? The, he's into evolution, and he's an atheist. And he said, I started reading what he wrote, and that made more sense to me. And then the, the craziest thing was the last comment. They said, well, one thing I realized is once I, I understood that there was no eternity for us, that life became much more meaningful recognizing that this is all we have. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, of course, the the um, the media is going to push things like that. And I'm sure there are some who have essentially thrown on, thrown in the towel and are just essentially lying to the people, at least from their perspective, and continuing to to I, I don't know how that would not come out in the teaching. I can't hide anything. If I didn't believe what I was teaching, you'd know it in a heartbeat. But that is it's a sad commentary. And it's just a, another, another way that the media will expose anything of that sort in order to insert an element of doubt in people's minds. One of them said, well, the Bible is so contradictory and it really just doesn't make sense. So how many people, millions of people that were listening to that Maybe we're thinking the answers may be in the Bible. Maybe Christ is who he said he was. Oh, that's one of the things also that they said is that there were too many things that were just too unbelievable. One of them was Noah's Ark that they mentioned. And another one was the resurrection. <clears throat> I didn't know that Noah's Ark was such a big deal, but I've talked to more than one person and said that was one of the major issues that kept them from believing the Bible because that was just too far-fetched for anyone to imagine. And yet they have uh, a lot. There's been a lot of research done on Noah's Ark. It was the biggest ship that was built until I think it was about the midpoint of the Civil War, somewhere around the mid-1860s. Mid now, that's a long time from the... It was the first boat, <laughs> that our ship, whatever you want to call it, the ark, and it was it was huge. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. That we it, it was just another ploy, another way, for the world to cast aspersions at Christianity and try to make light of it and try to dispel the notion that there is a God and that He has sent His Son to die for mankind. And so we just have to feel sorry for those folks, pray for them, and just move on. So let's do move on. We're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we are still in our study of evil. I'm not going to do any review or any background. We're just going to press on because there's still a lot, a lot of uh, material to cover here. This is going to be lesson number 78. Here are the notes if you'd like to follow me in our notes. 
This is on page 93. We can allow ourselves to be influenced by evil in this world, but we have another problem that comes from within us. You see, we have a big problem, and that's the world. The temptations that arise from the world, but we have a bigger problem that is not exterior to us, but interior. Believers have both exterior and interior evil attacks and influence on their lives. So not only do we have the world, we also have what was known as the flesh, and then we have uh, Satan and his demonic hordes. So there is plenty of temptation to go around, but the one that is, I think probably is the most prevalent is the one that is in our genetic makeup, the flesh, the old man that comes from within. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 through 19 says, The things that proceed out of the mouth of God come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Of course, you know when I'm talking about the heart, I'm talking about the dominant portion of your soul, which is called in the Bible the cardia in the Greek, which is translated into the English as the heart. <coughs> it's never this pump in our chest. It's always referring to the dominant portion of our soul. And so it is from within us that we have temptations. And we all these things... See, when you do, before you do something, you have to think about it first. It has to pass muster with regards to your volition even after you think about it. You think the thought, and then you decide, am I going to carry it out? Yes, I think I will, and then you do the deed. But it all starts in the cardia. It all starts in your heart. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. All of us should strive to be counselors of peace. Because we live in a world that is violent, that is hostile, a world that is anything but peaceful. But that's what we should strive to do is be counselors of peace. Even in churches, there's pettiness, strife, and vindictiveness, and little things that ought not be there. And every one of us can... Have, we have the opportunity to be counselors of peace. And that's what we should do because it's the opposite of what Satan would have us do. It's the opposite of his plan. He wants there to be strife, especially in the churches. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. Some of you will know what this is about before we even get there, hopefully. You know it's in Romans, so it's Paul doing the, doing the teaching here. And we see that Paul is actually human. Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 15. Now remember, we just went over the Scripture talking about how we have a problem beside the world and the devil or his demons. And that is our heart. For evil comes from the thoughts, the heart. 
So verse 15. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So he jumps right into it and he's explaining how he has the desire to do that which is pleasing to God. But he says, what I am practicing, that is the very thing that I don't want to do. I'm doing the very thing that I hate. So he is, in this particular context, he would be talking about being in the state of what? Carnality. And he's doing exactly what he does not want to do. And then he says in verse 16, But if I do the very thing that I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. In other words, he's doing it, and he's not saying that he's right in doing it. He agrees with the law, and he says that the law is good, but essentially he's not obeying the law. Of course, he's talking about here in context the Mosaic law. Verse 17, So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. Now, don't think that he's trying to cop out here and not take responsibility. He's just trying to explain that how, how much power, how much force that which is in us or that which we are physically, the old sin nature, has tremendous power. And he's recognizing that. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Now, I believe everybody in here can, uh, can identify with this. Can we not? How many times have you fired off at somebody and said something tacky, and instantly after you said it, you thought, I, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I say that? Or have you ever said something and you said it maybe more forcefully than you really intended? But one thing you can't take back is a spoken word. I mean, you can take it back later, but I mean, you, once it's gone, it's gone. It's just like when you pull a trigger on a, on a gun, a rifle, whatever it may be. Once you pull that trigger, you can't take it back. And so he's, he's putting this into perspective. He's wishing... The wishing is present in him, but the doing of the good is not. Have you ever found yourself, if you go to some of these restaurants and there's those dessert trays, and it's not real. I don't. Sometimes it, maybe it is real, but I look at that, and the desire to take my eyes off of that and forget it is there because I know I don't need that. That's the last thing that I need. And as I walk by, my head just goes kind of, Kind of like that. Now, the desire is to just do what I know in my head. Just press on. The desire is there. But I don't know whether you would call it the willingness. He says, but the doing of the good is not. So I can't wait for dessert and, you know, the rest. Verse 20. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish... I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. 
Now, don't think that he is taking volition out of the mix. When we, when we succumb to our sin nature, that's what he's describing. It takes over. And we're going to see that in life, there is a terrific battle that rages and will continue to rage as long as we're on, as long as we're alive. And that is the influence. I'm, I'm going skipping ahead in my, in, from what's in the notes. But you are either going to be influenced by Satan's program, which is evil, or God's program, which is Bible doctrine. Both of them have great influence. And you decide which one you're going to go with. And as we're also going to see, that you don't rebound evil. You can't confess evil because it has not been judged. And the, only, the, the, the greatest deterrent to evil is to grow up spiritually, is to learn the spiritual dynamics of the church age. Learn what the mechanics are and utilize them. Grow spiritually. Learn what God's plan is. Apart from that, you will succumb to the evil. That's what he's describing. Verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Even if you want to do good, even if you want to abhor evil, hate evil as we, are, as we should be, he's saying that the, the principle that evil is present in him is still there. You know, what we are as believers are saved sinners. That's what we are. We're not any better than anybody else as far as uh, who and what we are. Now, we have e extremely great value positionally in that we are in Christ. We are God's children. We have God's righteousness. We are royal family. We have great opportunities and privilege that nobody before or after will ever have. But none of that is credited to our merit are to our uh, anything in us. We're like everyone else with regards to the sin nature. But we have something that no unbeliever does have, uh, doesn't have with regards to the sin nature. And that is, for one thing, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for a believer to be demon-possessed. Also, because we have the potential of the filling of the Holy Spirit, which we know how to utilize, the old sin nature no longer has complete control over our lives as it once had as unbelievers. But it's still a formidable enemy that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Verse 22. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. You know, if you ever talk to someone and they say, oh, life is grand, I think of <laughs> a lot of people think, I don't know what your idea of happiness and the ultimate uh, relaxation is and so forth, but... Uh, I think it's Corona Beer has a commercial where they're laying on the beach. All you see is the, their, their back is facing you. 
and 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 it's uh, a man and a woman, and they are uh, laying in some kind of lounge chair, and there is a table in between them. The sun is out, beautiful day, on the beach, and they have a corona. Each one of them have a corona right there. And I'm thinking, to some, that would be the ultimate of uh, contentment, fun, happiness, whatever you would say. And it just seems like there's no battle going on in their life. But I think if you are a believer and you are involved in the conflict, certainly if you're growing spiritually, you have a target on you, there's going to be conflict within your own soul. In other words, what I'm saying is if there's no conflict, the enemy has already taken over the command post. And the enemy does not give up. Every waking hour, the old sin nature is prodding and pushing and trying to influence. And that's what you really want to do. You know, people, why do people sin? People sin because they want to. They like it. It's what we are all about. We are, we are born in sin. And I guess to the extent that you do battle with your urges and your lusts and desires, I'm not even talking about caving in to the world or to uh, Satan and his ploys. I'm just talking about now what's come, what, that which comes from us. And that's what he's talking about is... He says the law, he says the waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. It's like your old sin nature is passing a lot of laws and commanding you to obey. And you can either obey that or you can obey what God has to say in His Word. Verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Now, it sounds like it's pretty hopeless, doesn't it? That this is an ongoing thing, and he's fighting this battle. But I'm so grateful for verse 25. Look at verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, uh, who, who, wretched man, he says, who's going to set me free? Who is going to deliver me from this wretched state that I'm in? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself... With my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. So, if you ever do these battles and you think, what a wretched person you are, well, you're just like all the rest of us. We're all in the same boat. We all have this tendency. Do you ever have a thought that pops into your mind out of the clear blue? And it's something that is not nice, something that may be despicable, whatever it may be. Do you think other Christians don't have those thoughts? They do. All of us do. And where does it come from? I mean, you, you don't plan some type. Of, and I don't know what it is. It, it could be a, a, a whole range of, of uh, things that it could pertain to. But where did it come from? You didn't, you didn't wake up with a, a, a grudge against anyone. You woke up and everything was fine and lovely. You're going about your business and all of a sudden it's just like, wham, you're hit broadside and this thought is planted in your brain. Where did that come from? 
Well, it came from your inner man. That's, that's where it always is, is trying to take over the command post. And that's, I guess that focus is when I wrote, well, or when, I didn't write it, but when I was teaching the mechanics of applying doctrine, called it the MAD series. And for every one of those type of thoughts, for every one of the urges, for every one of the lusts, for every one of the untoward desires that we may have, there is a doctrine that neutralizes that. And that's what the MAD series is about. If you, if you have um, whatever particular sin it may be, then I go into the doctrines that pertain to that. Because you can't think, you, or let me put it this way, you can't yield to your old sin nature and think and apply doctrine at the same time, can you? And you can't think, I can't think, of, in two, di two different directions at the same time. And when we have a problem, and we, well, for, for instance, you should all know this right off the top of your head. If you have a problem and you're worried, what doctrine comes to mind? How about faith rest? Y'all know about faith rest. So when, whenever the issue is you, you can't sleep, there's an issue that's really worrying you, first of all, you rebound because worry is a sin. It's a form of fear. And then you start thinking about faith rest. And you might be thinking about the essence of God. You might be thinking about the uh, the... the X plus Y plus Z. Yeah, there's a lot of things. But what I'm telling you is when you're thinking about who God is, you're thinking about His promises, and you're thinking about the mechanics of the faith rest drill, guess what happens to the problem? It shrinks. It gets smaller and smaller. But here's the thing. You're the one that chooses what you want to think about. A lot of people say, well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. You can choose to focus on that problem and just get in, just go into a frenzy. Just bite your nails down to the third knuckle if you want to. Whatever it is. And what happens then? You're not thinking about God and the problem just mushrooms. That's all you, you're consumed with it. And some people, I can't say I can't help it. You can help it. God holds you responsible for it. And we are so, so fortunate that God has revealed His Word. Most of you have been taught all these fundamentals already. And so now it's just an issue. Are you, going to, are you going to focus upon it? And when you focus upon it, that problem gets to the point to where it's nearly non-existent because you're so, you're so focused on the Lord. And His promises. If you're ever really in a jam, if nothing else, open the Psalms and start reading the Psalms. They are fantastic. They, I've done, I'm not just saying this. I've done it myself. It's just like medicine. It's like the headache has gone away. And you can even do that if you have a headache. I mean, a real headache. So, uh, what I'm telling you is we have a problem. The problem is in us, in our own cardia. And even the Apostle Paul, the one that wrote more in the New Testament than anyone else, is explaining to us what wretched man am I and who is going to deliver me. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ has already delivered us. He did it on the cross. Now it's an issue of are you going to fret about how wicked that we all can become in our mind 
and even at times to come to Him, are we going to apply the solution? Are we going to rebound and move on, move forward and get past it? Aren't you glad that God does not hold us accountable for what we're really like? Aren't you? I mean, I'm looking at some of the greatest people I know, and yet we're all wretched. It's from it's it's us. It's human. It's human nature to be selfish. If you don't believe it, just get around a couple of two-year-olds and put some toys out there. What's going to happen? No one taught them to go and grab something. Man, man. No one taught them to do that. Why do they do it? No one teaches them to say, yeah. Where does that come from? The attitude. No one taught them. They're just little old sin nature just coming out. And they need a little bit of enforced humility. Pressing on in our notes. What should our attitude towards evil? What should our attitude be towards evil? Excuse me. In Amos chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, Seek good and not evil that you may live. Now, what does that suggest to you? If you don't seek good and you're seeking evil, what might your lifespan be? Maybe shorter, you reckon? And thus, may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. What does it mean, in the gate? Well, that's where they, at the gates, is where, where they used to hold court. And so it means hold justice in the courts. Now, here's the good news. God has given us the ability to overcome evil. Aren't you glad? We have the ability. Here are some, some uh, texts to, to prove it. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. That's the command, that we can overcome evil. What does it mean, good? Does that mean that <laughs> if you get out there and do 25 good deeds today, you're going to, that's worth uh, 15 pounds of good. And if you've done 15 pounds worth of evil, well, you, it's a wash. You, you, that's how you, is that what it's talking about? <laughs> A lot of people think that's the way you do it. What do you think penance is all about? No. The good is God's plan. God's plan for your life. That is the good, the overall good, that is consisting of His plan. And His plan means that you have to grow up spiritually. That's why we're still here. With the good means that the good of the plan is executing God's plan by the power of the Holy Spirit in full knowledge of knowing what you're doing. Proverbs sixteen seventeen, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keeps his way preserves his soul. Depart from evil. I have a cousin that's, that's a, a missionary. I mean, not excuse me, not a cousin. I have a nephew that's down in Mexico as a missionary. And he worked for a company before he went down into Mexico to be a missionary. And they would always tease him because they said he was a prude and he, was a, he, he very vociferously 
would pronounce that he is a Christian and that he loves the Lord and this type of thing. So they took him out to lunch one day. They said, you want to go to lunch with us? He said, okay. So he went to lunch. And when he got out, they, they went in. They didn't know till he went in that it was a topless uh, establishment, you know, where they were uh, cocktails and all this. And he said he went in and he was just shocked and he panicked. He didn't know what to do. So he rent instantly. He said, I have to go to the restroom. So he went in the restroom and he was, he was just beside himself. It was caught him off guard. He said, what should I do? What should I, what should I do? And he, so after a few minutes, he got his composure. He went back to his friends. And he says, I'm sorry, but I can't eat here. He said, this is, he says, I'm a Christian. This is immoral as far as I'm concerned. And if you all want to eat, I'll wait for you out in the car. And so he went out into the parking lot. And to his surprise, his friends came right out with him. He says, well, I thought y'all were going to eat. They said, no, we just want to know if you were real or not. You see, what he did was departed from evil. Sometimes the best way to, to keep evil away is put as much distance as you can between that evil and yourself. Now, he could have succumbed, but just think of it. He would have, he would have had no testimony. He had no idea they were putting him to the test. I mean, you're, you're, you're a lot of talk, but is it real or not? So that's what came to mind when I see this. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He keeps his way. He that keeps his way preserves his soul. I don't think preserving your soul just means that you continue to live. I think it means that you live the abundant life that God wants us to live. Because there's a lot of people that are walking around and they are dead in their souls. Some of you remember when we went to um, Cancun and we went, there was all the, all the buildings there and all the shops. And it was a beautiful day. Uh, we were walking around and everybody was having a good time. And we, I went into one shop. I was by myself. And in this particular shop, it was pretty crowded, and there was a column that went up all the way to the ceiling, and there was a, a circle probably eight feet in diameter, which was a counter. And in the middle of that counter were two Mexican gals. And they would, uh, when you brought your purchase up, uh, the, you, you would pay them, and they, if it was glass, they would wrap it in paper and everything. And there was a girl there that struck me so much, I can still see her today. She was the most unhappy-looking person I think I've ever seen. She was completely deadpan. And I tried to liven her, liven her up a little bit. I asked her something about she had a particular color on her. You know, just something to try to engage her in conversation. Nothing. You could tell she hated what she was doing. She probably hated all the gringos that were in there also. I don't know. But what I'm saying is she was as dead in her soul as I think a person could possibly be. And so when I see this, he that keeps his way preserves his soul. I think that if that young woman had been a believer and that she had been growing in grace and knowledge, that maybe she could have seen that that job was only temporary and it could have been a test. 
Does your happiness depend on where you're working? Does your happiness depend on things going your way that particular day? They're out there. Maybe you've seen them from time to time. People that are dead in their soul. Bitter. Keeping away from evil, he that keeps his way, that is the Lord's way, preserves your soul. Not just keep on living, but living the abundant life that God wants us to. And then this next verse may look familiar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 through 22. That happens to be the verse that launched us into this doctrine of evil. It's been a while. You might have forgot where we were. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, the good is the plan of God for believers. X plus Y plus Z. Does that mean anything to you? To some of you, I don't think I've ever taught that to you. How many people know about X plus Y plus Z? Maybe less than a third, maybe. I'm tempted to launch into X plus Y plus Z right now. I probably will have to before long now. X plus Y plus Z is essentially God's plan for your life. And it consists of seven imputations. And it's somewhat in detail... But it's a great motivating force. Maybe when I'm done with 1 Thessalonians, before I go to 2 Thessalonians, I'll teach X plus Y plus Z. But if I do it right now, we'll be off so far down a rabbit trail, you all forget that we were on the doctrine of evil. But that is the plan for us is X plus Y plus Z. That's one way to express it. Once under the influence of evil, the only possible recovery comes from learning doctrine. You got that. You can't rebound evil and think all is well because it takes a process. You have to learn something. What is the, you know what the first ingredient is in learning? Even if you have been encapsulated in an environment of evil and you've been evil all the way up to your eyeball, you can start learning doctrine. When you learn doctrine, then you see the other side. Then you're able to utilize it, and that will neutralize and dispel evil in your life. But what is the first thing you have to be? Humble. And that's the big problem. People aren't humble these days. But it can happen. The constant intake of doctrine is the only insulation from evil. Did you hear that? That's the only insulation from evil because doctrine goes where evil resides in the cardia. What were we reading earlier? Where did did all the evil thoughts and everything come from? The cardia, your heart. And what does the Bible change? Your heart. One of my favorite songs is Change My Heart, O God. Remember that one? Has the Spanish flavor to it? That's what we're doing. If you don't listen, if you don't change your heart through doctrine, the devil will change your heart through evil. And you will have nothing to combat it. You think you're smart? You think you're powerful? There's nobody even comes close to the genius of Satan and his power. And you will be influenced, maybe even overcome by it, if you don't have doctrine to neutralize it. So, the constant intake of doctrine is the only insulation from evil because doctrine goes where evil resides in the cardia, the heart. There, uh, and there, doctrine combats it. Proverbs. You know, uh, I think Bob Bolander in in Austin is 
he, he's either teaching it now or he taught it recently, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. I never heard anybody just got in the book of Proverbs and started teaching it because it's kind of, it'd be kind of hard to do because you go from one verse to the next and you're completely on another sin, a, a subject. Then you go to the next verse and you're another subject. I don't know, it'd probably take a long time to teach it. Anyway, we're going to have a lot of Proverbs here in evil because it mentions a lot about evil. Proverbs 2, 10 through 15 says, For wisdom, and when you have the first five verses of Proverbs, it's the wisdom. It talks a lot about wisdom, and wisdom is really a metaphor for doctrine, what we would call doctrine. For wisdom or doctrine will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. You hearing all this? That's what's going to deliver you. From the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. See, that's what all this knowledge and understanding is going to protect you from, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Well, I don't. A lot of you that were here, are here tonight were at Friday night at the movies. Well, you missed it. <laughs> it was exciting during the movie and afterward. But anyway, uh, we had a movie called The Count of Monte Cristo. And my favorite line in that whole movie has to do with what is given in Proverbs 2, 10 through 15. Do you remember when he was in prison? The It was called the... Uh, what was it? The death, Chateau, Chateau d'If. Oh, it was horrible, horrible place. And uh, the guy dug the tunnel and he got in there with him. And it was uh, Richard uh, Harris. Uh, is that right? Richard Harris? Yeah. He played the guy that was uh, a scholar. He was a very learned man. And the guy, uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, was going to help him dig a tunnel. And he said, For this, uh, Richard Harris told him, For this, I will give you something. That's very valuable. And the Count of Monte Cristo said, What is that, freedom? And he just laughed and said, No. He said, They can take freedom away. I'm going to give you knowledge. You never think of that? They can't take knowledge away from you. It's more valuable than just about anything. And when we're talking about in the context of this verse, let's go over it again. I don't want you to miss this. For wisdom, meaning Bible doctrine, will enter your heart. How does it enter your heart? How's it your cardia? We're doing it right now. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Have you ever, do you ever experience that? That's okay. You can say experience. How pleasant doctrine is to your soul. People that have come to this church, people that have gone to other doctrinal churches, they come here and they say, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. I'm home. Why is that? For, because doctrine is pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Boy, do we ever need to know about discretion. Understanding will watch over you. This is like a guard to deliver you from the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of unrighteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, 
who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. That's what this wisdom, this doctrine that has entered your heart that is pleasant to you will do for you. It is the neutralizer. You know, I never took chemistry. Uh, chemistry involves chemicals and math, and I'm not fond of either one. And when I saw those tables that you had to memorize, I said, that is not for me. I am out of here. Uh, literally, I was in the class for 10 minutes, and he, the professor was telling us what all we were going to have to learn. And I, uh, don't want to be rude, but see you. I'm out of here. But I understand that there's some, some things can be very caustic, and you can just take a little bit of something and pour in there, and it neutralizes it. That's what doctrine does. It takes the acidity and the caustic, the, the, all the horrible things, and pour a little doctrine there and neutralizes it. You know what? You can't use doctrine that you don't have. You've got to have that neutralizer. Here's Proverbs 1, 32 through 33. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them. You know what you could substitute for simple there? But would be more stupid. The young and dumb. We were all there, weren't we? Remember, as I remember when I was a, a teenager, and we thought that having a hot car and going over 100 was really cool. Now, that would be the way, way, waywardness of the stupid will kill them. <laughs> you see? And the complacency of fools will destroy them. Boy, can we ever relate to that. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Is that where you are? Whoever listens to me. What does that presuppose? What is he talking about there? Couldn't you say those who are taking in my word? Isn't that listening to the Lord? He's speaking. It's right here in the book. And there are pastors all over the country that are speaking. But it's only ones who listen who will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Are you fear of harm? Well, there's another verse in Proverbs. It's one of my favorites. It's the only one in this whole series of evil that I've got an asterisk by it. I'm not going to give it away and tell you what it is now. But I will tell you this, it has, it's related to this. They will be without fear of harm. You can, you can ruin your time on this planet worried and being concerned about harm that might be around the corner. But if you have doctrine in your soul, it neutralizes it. You know you're in the Lord's hand. You know that nothing can touch you unless the Lord... Allows it, and he always allows it for a purpose. You know that you can't be tested beyond that which you're able to bear because the Lord is going to see to it unless it's discipline. That is so great because I think we spend a lot of time dreading things that never happen. But we shouldn't dread anything. I mean, I don't, I'm not thrilled when I have to go to the dentist. But, and I might find myself dreading it. 
And then you know what happened? Then I'm just like Paul. The war is over. But I don't have to dread it. In fact, by the time it's over, I could be thanking the Lord that I have a dentist to go to. Can you imagine how the people crossing the prairie in covered wagons and they have an abscessed tooth? What's how about that? I don't know what I don't know how they did that. I mean, give them some. Well, I don't know if they had Jim Beam then. Give them some Jack Daniels, whatever they had, and get the pliers out. They would give. Start say they give their eye teeth. <laughs> they give their eye teeth to have a dentist. <laughs> oh boy, we just have a wonderful God, and. Well, you already see the next thing. That's where we're going to begin next time, right here. See this? We are to fear God and not evil. Why? Because He's given us the ability to overcome evil, to neutralize evil. You don't do it by rebound. You do it by what you learn and grow as we continue to do so. And we'll continue this next time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You are our God, the great God, the only God. And you allow to flourish and prosper on planet Earth because it continues the angelic conflict. And you indeed are demonstrating to the entire universe that you are just, you are righteous, and that you hold your creatures, both angelic and human, accountable for the decisions and choices that we make. We pray that you will help us choose for righteousness. That you'll encourage us to continue to grow in knowledge and in grace so that we will be able to withstand all the attacks of evil. And we know that we can do it because you commanded us to do it. Help us to be alert, be on our guard. And stand firm. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.